Hey guys, Spacey here, and welcome to Cora's podcast, Filmmaking Actually. On this episode, Cora asks, what does it take to be a director, actually? And she has a guest, Emmy-nominated director Michel Chivetta. Through his production company, Quintessence Films, he has directed commercials for Coca-Cola, Dunkin' Donuts, and NBC, directed music videos for Lou Reed, Sparkle Horse, Lady Tron, and Sean Lennon's Friendly Fire, which, side note from me, that's how I discovered Michelle's work. Uh, he's commissioned shorts by directors like David Lynch, Kenneth Anger, and Gaspar Noe, and directed feature-length films, including Agony, released in 2020 through Gravitas Ventures, starring Asia Argento, and his latest film, The Gateway. It's got an all-star cast, Bruce Dern, Olivia Munn, Shea Wiggum, Frank Grillo, Mark Boone Jr., Taryn Manning, and Keith David, just to name a few names. Uh, one, one brief note here, I was feeling under the weather at the time that this interview took place, and that is mentioned in passing, but instead of editing that part out, I just left it in for the sake of preserving as much as possible the liveliness of uh, Michelle's and Cora's conversation. I really learned a lot and felt a great sense of camaraderie from listening to this conversation. So if you want to know what it takes to be a director, I think you will learn something from this too. So, okay, that's it from me. So enjoy. You lead me down whichever rabbit hole you want to go. (laughs) Well, let's start just as a general, like, yeah, thank you for being here and for sharing your story and sharing everything uh, with me and with everyone who listens to this podcast. Could you tell me just a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do? Uh, it's great to be with you today, Court. I um, grew up in New York City and was kind of born and bred kind of up, up and down the East Coast. And uh, I got involved, I guess, kind of creating more like short stories and like writing kind of like in my teenage years. And that sort of slowly led me into, you know, the entertainment thing, just a bunch of movies along the way. It just kind of informed my opinions that, like, uh, for whatever reason, like my dad was from Italy, and so like as kids, we grew up watching a lot of like spaghetti westerns and stuff. And you know, when I started to watch more, I don't want to say they're not serious movies, but they, they're kind of you know like kind of a general populist kind of cowboy flick fun stuff. But I, I came across like Paths of Glory by Stanley Kubrick, and then some of the Fellini stuff, and it just it never occurred to me that you know one person ostensibly was behind the vision of of making these movies so I, I i got real interested in just you know that process i guess kind of like in my mid-teen years and so uh from there i just you know kind of set out to go to film school and then started to uh, work a fair amount in my early 20s like shooting a lot of uh, music videos and commercials i was pretty lucky in the sense that it was uh, at that first wave of the internet bubble as they were calling it so there's a lot of dot-com startups and so they were actually looking for younger people to be doing a lot so i, I kind of cut my teeth in you know more or less like commercial filmmaking you know shooting like ads and stuff and it was terrific because you know i was maintained a pursuit that I wanted to be making movies and telling stories in that area. But you at least at one point had you know, resources and budgets to make these shorter, shorter kind of content things. So I, I learned a ton along the way, how to work with crews. And so, you know, that always has more or less been like the, the bedrock of what you can put into your next project moving forward. Just like all, all that, you know, applied field theory. Totally. That's awesome. Where in New York are you from? I, I grew up uptown, uh, like Upper East, actually. Okay. I moved back to Manhattan when I was about uh, 15, and I did like a work-study program there, and then I got an internship in L.A. and moved to L.A. when I was 
just before I turned 17. It was kind of crazy. Whoa, that is crazy. That was, that's a crazy time to be in LA. I, I was there for the first time around that time back when I was like 17, 18. And yeah, it's a crazy city yes. when you're young. Yeah, yeah, I, I got out of there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no, I get it. Anyway, I will uh, go back to my questions now. Um, just, I didn't realize you were a New Yorker too, so that just makes you cooler. Um, how would you describe your creative process? Uh, my creative process, I, you know, I think it's cum cumulative. I, I like to call it like, feel, like applied feel theory. So it's like, you know, experiences that you have along the way inform what you're trying to do. And so like, and what I'm doing these days, I'm just trying to keep it as truthful to myself as possible. So uh, we, my ex-wife and I used to have a phrase that we would call it art therapy and that you, you basically try and call from that, which is, you know, uh, relevant in your life that has bearings and, and, you know, you got to see yourself in what you do. And so, you know, I, I work in a number of different types of facets of, of visual medium. So it's like some stuff is more visual, but, uh, you know, as time goes on, I really like to dig into characters and stories that I at least can uh, maybe solve riddles in my own personal life by, uh, by doing that. You can hook into emotionally, you know? Yeah. I have to say I, that resonates with me uh, very, very much. Um, and then I guess kind of along that same line, um, how would you, I guess um, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but um, how do you select the stories that you want to tell? Like, how do you, what makes something, what makes a project speak to you? You know, uh, typically I've always written whatever I do. Like um, I, almost every movie I've worked on and many of them unsuccessfully because I've had about three movies get up, set up with studios and fall apart along the way. It's always been either a book I've, I've optioned or something I've written, you know, kind of standalone. In the instance of The Gateway, um, it was an old friend of mine actually as a producer now, and he had what he considered a really terrific standalone, like genre piece kind of thriller, like an inner city crime thriller. Um, when he gave it to me, uh, he was like, look, if you can rewrite this and get it to a place that pops off the page and just has more dynamics and more uh, complexities, it's something we can go make right away. So what I like to think in this story is like I, I found a way to personalize it for myself, like we were talking about earlier. Um, and like, you know, find that particular window in that, you know, you can articulate a world and, and the characters in that world. So, uh, you know, I think it became more of a neo-noir tapestry piece, whereas initially it was much more, you know, lack of better terminology, like cops and robbers kind of standard boilerplate stuff. Um, no disrespect to the original script, but that's what you have to do if you're going to create something. You have to be able to see yourself in it to some degree because our goal is to speak truth about things. Uh, you know, you can only write from that which you know, I think. And again, that just goes right into my next question, which is um, how do you go about developing something from a screenplay to the screen? Like um, uh, both the technical side of it, but also like there's so much that can happen from an idea on paper to filming it on set and then even through the editing process. So kind of, um, yeah. You know, all, all storytelling um, visually, it, it really combats um, the time equation, meaning like you have a, a finite amount of time to work on something because of the economics of, of storytelling. So 
um, you know, if you're a painter, you can ostensibly spend a, a year on a painting, you know, do a layer, walk away, so on and so forth. But this it, it involves so many people. And so, you know, I always, for whatever reason, go back to the title of this uh, Tarkovsky biography, which is called Sculpting in Time. Um, I don't think he, he meant it in this reference point, but, you know, what I feel like when you're filmmaking, you're actually sculpting in time. You have one specific moment with all these people here and you have to, you know, kind of fabricate a vision and, and unify all that. So in the prepping process, what is so vital is to have everything as organized as you can see fit for the course of the day to actually be free enough during the course of that day to discover because so much of it's about architecture. Are we shooting these order of scenes correctly? Like, is this the greatest expenditure of our time to, you know, have time to discover like dramatic moments in, in scenes that you're working with, with, with actors, you know? Um, and then, yeah, you hope you get it right as best as you can. You know, they always say like collect as many pieces as you can because you're going to basically go back and reassemble this puzzle when you're all done with it. And that's the other thing is the editing, they always say, is the great opportunity to rewrite the film. Um, and for example, on this movie, The Gateway, I was super fortunate because I had uh, an editor named Susie Almager who's been working since the last period of Robert Altman's films. Like she started working with him and uh, you know, it, it's a, a process yet again of a different set of optics that you kind of let go, but you also trust the process with somebody who guides you through it to articulate, you know, kind of what all of that is. And um, ultimately, the one other aphorism I have is movies are not so much finished as just abandoned. Eventually, you just walk away and then, you know, you have to articulate what it is again and again as you watch it, you know. So I don't know. That's that's the process as I see it these days, I love that. I've definitely been there where you're like, you know what? We're done. Like, that's it. Just stop. <laughs> like, we can go no further. That's, that's why I like, I don't know if you've ever done those like 48 hour film projects or anything like that. That's one of the mm -hmm. reasons that I love doing them is because you have to stop. Like eventually you have to finish the script because you have to start filming because you're running out of totally. time. And yep. like that mentality of like, okay, good. Just stop decide that this is it um, it's a good thing you know you can't over prepare people get stigmatized also being like oh i'm gonna write it so perfect and then it's good but we always have these mechanisms for self-sabotage and questioning and sometimes you got to just be ready to like jump into the fire I and mean, things are what they are they're imperfect which is you know sometimes some of the best artwork comes that way you know if you go to like punk rock or you know people find ways to express without with limited tools you know yeah totally you mentioned working with the actors. Um, I know I hate that they kind of, they, the world's usually kind of puts directors into two categories. There's the ones that are like sitting next to the DP, like micromanaging all the tech stuff. And then there's the ones that like give the DP free reign and they're micromanaging the actors. Um, I personally think the best directors have a good understanding of both and can let the DP do their job and the actors do their job and direct um what yep. they're looking for from both where would you say you you fall are you like a heavier on the tech side or heavier at the actors or middle ground or i i think i, I kind of calibrate in the middle you know like what i've come i used to be much more of a, a visually hands-on uh filmmaker like it's all camera 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 more ordinate sets and stuff like that but you know as time goes on i've learned your craftsmen are so much more capable of what they do then you will be so you can guide that process you can you know talk about what how you see it and obviously make micro adjustments but 
you know, uh, movies are really, they're, they're an actor's medium. I mean, I, I know people, there's a lot of fallacy like, Oh, it's not tours, you know, thing, but the actors are the ones you associate with on screen and they're the window that you can kind of take that leap into believability. And so, you know, I, I feel like the earlier phase of my work, I was always a bit more reticent about really rolling up my sleeves and, and digging into the process with actors because it, it's intimidating. But as time goes on, it's the most malleable form of, of the creation, I think. So right, right now, it's all about the actors. But, um, you know, I certainly run around with cameras on my back and stuff like that. Also. I saw um, on, um, obviously, I like looked on IMDb and stuff like that and tried to do a little bit yeah. of uh, uh, homework. So I noticed that for some projects, you're a writer-director. For some, you're writer-director-producer. For some, you have other producers. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a two-part question. How do you know, and I don't know, maybe this is a bit of a self-serving question because like for me personally, my dream is to like find a perfect producer to have as a partner because being on set, the most obnoxious thing in the world is to not be focused on the story, but to be worried about when everybody's eating lunch and having to focus on the story and having to make sure the next people are ready. Like it's, it's- A lot for the brain to process too much um is there a difference in when and why you you would produce or wouldn't produce and how do you know like okay this is a good partnership this is kind of what i need in a producer and that may be a self-serving question but i think it's important for directors to know what makes a good a good partnership and to know when a production partner is a good person to kind of connect with and Multi-layered question. Sorry. No, it's a, it's a super interesting question. You know, and it's it's not easy because you know ultimately, I think as a filmmaker, you know, you're unfortunately responsible for understanding almost everyone's job. Ultimately, so you do have to understand what the gaffers do, what editors do to a certain extent, what you know production design is. But a producer, you know, really is there to guide the process and have your back. And you know, there's a lot of kinds of producers. Whether it's more of a creative producer who develops material in tandem with you. A uh, producer who really understands how to work their way through the finance process and you know distribution, you kind of learn a bunch of that over the way. And like I always felt like I needed to understand more to your question. It's like I don't really know when it's something that you're more involved in. Sometimes it's obvious, but you you really have to be aware of all those facets. I think along the way, but you know, a great producing partner will have your your back. And so you know, when you're actually on that set, you're focusing only on the film. You know, but with that said, there's producing stuff coming up left, front, and center. So you're still sometimes casting when you're in the process of making a movie. So, you know, your producer can help you with that, but that's unfortunately like a filmmaker's job as well. So, you know, there's always that fine juncture between uh, art and commerce. You have to be aware of what the bottom line is as well as what the creative is. So, like with that, you you make a lot of decisions that I, I think are vaguely producerial oriented as well. So it's like, it is what it is but i think in a perfect world you have someone you can really go forward with with everything with that really understands how you like to work and the specifics of you know a lot of assets or, or facets and in, in what it takes to get movies made or, or music videos or commercials whatever it is you know? yeah no that's that's a great answer how involved do you tend to get with the production process? Like, I know you mentioned that there is, obviously there's the creative producer side that's just the developing of the project and getting it ready to uh, mm-hmm. work. But then there's also the like, I call them the boring producers, <laughs> but like the budget, 
<laughs> the budget, the the managing of the finances, the they work with the AD to set the schedule. Like obviously the director is involved with that too, but like it's more the how many hours, how many days, how many people, how much background can we afford? Where are we going to go to lunch? What's our timeline? What festivals are we going to? What 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 press things can we afford? Like all that stuff. Yeah. I guess I should say more the business side of it. Um, mm-hmm. Do you tend to stay away from that side and just focus on the creative, or do you find kind of uh, one foot in each camp, as it were? Uh, you know, I like to get my hands dirty wherever you know I can. So I'm not afraid to get messy. So, like a line producer probably has one of the hardest jobs on a, a film because they're really running the machine, making certain everything shows up, that the costs are coming in effectively day per day. With equipment and stuff like that, it's important that you understand what you have the ability to be using because it, it does impact, you know, your schedule, like both equipment choices being made on how much are you spending on art versus uh, this one location we're getting. It becomes just a gigantic uh, tug of war in all these different directions. So, you know, th- that I think is kind of part of the actual filmmaking process as a director, because you have to problem solve, you know, for the rest of it. I mean, I'm unfortunately learning this week that the whole marketing part of it is it's a huge portion of of what you got to do as a filmmaker. So you got to still be aware of what occurs afterwards in terms of how you navigate, whether it's film festivals or all that stuff. It's, you know, uh, it's not as easy as it used to be to launch movies these days either. So hopefully you have the right people along the way, but the more you can keep your eyes and ears open to everything. Like, I I just don't ever like to say, Oh, it's it's entirely their job. It's like, you know, you have to kind of meet halfway where where you can, you know, because it it will, I think lead to better results. Yeah, for sure. Um, That isn't like, I think uh, what's the word pan determinism, like as a filmmaker, (laughs) that's a good phrase. You know, Um, you mentioned a little bit about the talent and casting. Um, what is your approach towards working with talent, like both from the casting side? Um, and then um, for me, I really love if I see a tape, like if somebody submits a self tape and it it's so close, like it could be good, but I can't really tell if it was just a bad take or whatever. Um, if I have the time, if it's a project where we can do this, I'll give them some feedback and ask them to send another one. Um, just to see you know, if if it's yeah. maybe they'll be good enough, not good enough, but maybe they can hit that particular like what I'm looking for. Um, and if we're doing live casting, especially for callbacks, um, again, if somebody's close, I'll, I'll try and like work with them a little bit. I've been in casting rooms where the director is just sitting there and the people are just coming in and reading and leaving and reading and leaving. And they're just yeah. like, I'm just waiting for someone to do it differently. And in my head, I'm like, okay. Every single actor we just saw just did the scene the exact same way. So I'm going to assume that the way it's written reads that way. And you, that way, yeah. Like you probably should give them a note if you want them. Like they're not. Yeah. No, you, you have to correct the tonality if you see it some way. And I also, it's fair to give actors something to work with so they can actually not just have a preconceived idea, you know, without at least a conversation. It, it's hard when you're casting because sometimes there's a lot of roles or whatever, but it's so. It's so important because, you know, you'll you'll like exactly what you're saying, Cora, like find someone they maybe seem like they fit the part, but then you don't know where the range is in terms of, you know, how seasoned they are. Like, do they have the ability to like play a little bit funny as well? Or so, you know, to have that 
opportunity to do a second callback or, or whatever it is, you know, watch them with some notes, um, doing a self self submit or something. It's amazing how much it'll change along the way. And we, we found a few great actors on this film through that process just by, you know, seeing what somebody was initially and then saying, Oh, can you read even from this other part? And uh, it's amazing, you know, where somebody you'll see the range just in reading two or three different characters and you're like, okay, this person's got it. Yeah, for sure. How about like once an actor is on set, what do you find like the best way to work with an actor? If like, do you do a bunch of rehearsals ahead of time? Do you do any read throughs with them in advance? Um, do you just give them the script, get on set, work it out once you're there? Um, what's kind of the your process for working with talent? You know, yet again, it comes down to uh, to uh, schedule and like art and commerce ultimately. Because in a perfect world, yeah, you rehearse the hell out of it, you know, for a week before, like do table readings and really make adjustments on the script together. And in the case of this last film, uh, just because everyone was very busy and coming and going for other things. It was like we had an opportunity to review the scripts together in person, like write up notes and kind of know how we're going to come at it. And more than anything, it was just important to get to know each other as best as possible, you know, before you really go off on, on, on the adventure. Um, so like in the, the case of this film, there was, you know, a mother-daughter relationship between Olivia Munn and Tegan Burns. And so it was important that they kind of bonded just so they knew each other before like day one. So like they would go see movies together, uh, go out to eat and, you know, you keep some of your actors apart as well. You don't want them to necessarily have any, any interaction before they're actually on screen together. So it's, uh, it has a different kind of volatility. Uh, with that said, there was, yeah, a lot of rewriting going on throughout the process, you know, and then a lot of the, adjustment I think really unfortunately have to occur really day of but I, I like that spontaneity because it, it seems like it's a little dizzying but you really get to a point of, of like core visceral honesty if you're you're not afraid to dig in and say like what is the scene about and you know I was super lucky on the last film because it was like super high level thoroughbreds you're working with so the actors are coming with so much ammunition and so much ability to to discover and like not be afraid to uh, interpret along the way and, and to the point that like we wouldn't walk away unless we felt like we had it that, that that's a big part of the relationship do you, you think we got it we got that take are we good to walk away from this and i i think you know uh, independent filmmaking is one thing and you know obviously you hear always about the lore of people like stanley kubrick or i know fincher does a lot of takes yeah you do 150 takes to get it right which you know that's incredible it's like daunting and there's you know an incredible consummate perfectionism in, in some artists but uh you're also operating on, on a very large canvas at that point if you can you know be doing that kind of stuff so i can't imagine editing where i had a hundred takes of every single setup <laughs> i think i'd go crazy yeah that's a lot of work i guess that's where a good scripty comes in handy that's a hard job too oh my gosh <laughs> Um, I do not. That's one of the, there's very, there's a, a few positions that I've never personally done, like just in my yeah. young, everything. Scripty is the, is one of the few that I've never, I mean, I've done pieces of it, obviously like watching continuity or this, that, the other, but like the actual person with the binder, like my husband's done it like full out. Really? It's amazing. Yeah. It's so, so vital, you know, as, as you're there between the, AD and the scripty. I mean, just in terms of being able to go back and like reference things and even understand like where dialogue changed along the way. Cause 
there's so much information in the story. It's great. Oh, for sure. Speaking of editing, I know you mentioned this a little bit as far as like handing things over to an editor and kind of having that trust in place. Um, mm -hmm. How do you find that you best work? Like, you know, I know there's some directors who like, they have to edit it. Like that's the only way. Yeah. Um, I know for my favorite way of editing with my husband is whoever's directing will do a pass. Then the other one of us will do a pass. Then the director that's comes smart. back and does another pass just to kind yeah. of like, um, and for this feature that we're editing right now, um, I had an amazing editor um, friend, Tanya, Tanya Lawhead, I'll shout her out because she's amazing. Um, and she did the cool. assembly cut for us. And then I went through and did like notes. And then my husband did a pass on the version. And now I'm sitting there doing a version and then he's going to go and do another version. So it's it's very collaborative. But um, I love that. That's cool. That's a good way to, to skin the cat, you know? I was going to say, but from what I know, I don't think that's a, that's a normal way of editing. So like, what's your process? Um, I mean, back in the day, I used to like to cut most of my stuff myself, but then after a certain point, I would get frustrated with the machines and the technology, just because you're always having to learn it again or like figure out new assets. So I'll, I'll cut smaller stuff on my own, but I, I really have become a firm believer in, in kind of giving up the reins to editors to really help you to like see where the story is gone or what, how much you can explore differently. You know, part of me like wants to actually see every single frame of what you shot, but you know, I, I think yet again, it's about like trusting the people you work with, you know, that you, you know, that they're going to be good enough as craftsmen that they really aren't going to leave stones unturned. And so in, in the assembly, it's super important. I think you, you, I, I, I sit in there and, and really build the, the film out and then from there i think it's good to get out of dodge for a while and just, you know not hamper their creativity either so it's kind of similar to what you're saying in the handoff system you know yeah because it's um, all collaborative that's the, that's the thing you know you can't be afraid to get notes along the way from people while you're doing the editing and my one of my producing partners did one of the last scorsese movies um, and he told me that thelma schumacher who's arguably one of the greatest living editors of all time and Scorsese screened a lot of their movies about 60 to 70 times and received notes back from audiences they don't know to then micro-adjust the film. Wow. Um, we did our very first, I'd never really done test audiences outside of like, you know, yeah. something to a festival and maybe you'll edit it more after a festival run or whatever, where it was literally like a rough cut with like title cards saying where things were missing and there's no color grading, no sound design. Yeah. Oh, and <laughs> I gave it to people who I trusted that th they could see it in that stage and not like judge me. But some of them like were not filmmakers. They're just friends or family or whatever. Yeah. I've never had so much anxiety in my life as when I sent, okay, that's not true. I had a very high level. <laughs> I've had more. High level. <laughs> I had a very, I had a very high disclaimer. <laughs> um, giving it to them because I had no idea, but I can't imagine going through that process 70 times. I think I'd. Yeah, you'd lose your marbles. <laughs> we, um, I'm going to do, I think, one more round of notes. Just okay. we absorbed the first. So, uh, moving forward, that's smart. You know, and with time, it's always good. Yeah. Also, it lets people who saw it, and then you mix it up and have a couple people see it again so they can see the change. And then some people uh, won't have seen it, so it'll be their first like, totally. Yeah. But, Fresh um, eyes plus like, yeah, that's so important. Yeah. Especially when you're like, you've stared at the same screen for so long. <laughs> Craziness. I know. 
And you never see it the same way, even when it's finished. That's the problem. It's yeah. And then you sit there watching it when it's done and you're like, oh, I could have won. <laughs> Obviously, you know, you mentioned working in commercials to start. Where would you suggest someone starts when it comes to beginning work as a director and not just like career path wise, but even just like creatively, like if you're someone sitting at home who's like, man, I'd love to be a director, like where would you say they should start or how do you think they should start? I mean, the tools are all out there these days. Like it's so different, you know, in terms of it being a technical craft than it was in, you know, the 60s or 70s. And certainly back then, you know, you had super eight cameras and you know you probably had like simple enough versions of Steenbecks that you could use at home because I, I remember cutting something very early on on something like that but and now it's all on your telephones and you know technology is so omnipresent in our lives that it's it's easy to, to basically get the gear to shoot stuff so I think you know in the visual medium you should basically start shooting stuff start learning how to edit that's even on your phones or your computers these days and you know, understand what that process is as a canvas, you know, in terms of the technical part. And then to really, I think, dig into the work of what a director is. I mean, there's like great architects who become directors because of their architectural prowess and understanding of computer design skills. And so depending upon who you are and how your brain works, you're going to apply yourself to storytelling totally differently. But it's about exposing yourself, especially as a young person, to as much as as possible in the world. I think, you know, just you have to see as many movies as, as you can, uh, listen to as much music, go to as many museums and, you know, travel, meet people and keep notes along the way. Because that's, that's really what's going to be the core of what the stories would be about, I think, ultimately. You know? Even if you buy books or, you know, get handed screenplays and stuff, you still have to have opinions in life. That's true. You just made me think of something when you're talking about like going to museums and traveling and stuff. I was like, I guess filmmakers are pretty much ambassadors of humanity. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good terminology. I, I would say we're more like uh, uh, vagabonds of the Western world, but that, that, I think both are apropos. Well, I guess it depends where you're, where you're, where you're making your films, but. Um, That's true. It could be uh, gypsies of uh, East Asia as well. There's a, a lot of like terms, but. I think without a doubt, they, they are ambassadors. And I think ambassadors to culture and to ideas. And it's super interesting because, you know, you can make a story in, say, the U.S. that people in the U.S. are like, nah, it doesn't really uh, click or have like a tonality, I understand. But that movie could play in Germany and they'll say, wow, that's really what we think America's like. And so it, it is like really a point of conversation, like all artwork is, you know, kind of at this point, universe, like globally, that, you know, you can have something that informs cultures and the way we think about cultures. And it's fascinating. It really is. Um, so uh, those were all kind of like my general questions. Um, that was great. <laughs> thank you. Um, I realized there was one question I was going to ask and I forgot to write it down. Um, yeah. It's actually specifically about Friendly Fire. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I was so uh, so happy to hear that Spencer's such a big fan. <laughs> oh, huge! Yeah, his um his I don't know if you know that he's actually a, a musician, a singer songwriter. Yeah, no, um, I do, I do. And his name is Spaceship. It's from Sean's song Spaceship. Like, oh, funny. That's where wow. it got inspired to go. Um, but uh, and cool. then my company name, well, it's our company now. When I named it, we weren't even dating yet. Yeah. I just had a crush oh, on funny. But um, cool. uh, I, w I was talking to him and I asked him, like, where does Spaceship come from? And he told me about the song. And I, I'm trying to think, I don't think I'd heard anything 
by Sean before and I looked up the song and it was a great song and I really I just really dug the lyrics and this idea of like going off and like bigger and better just these like abstract kind of ideas and um I had just started mainstream productions well a production company and I needed a name and um I was think someone said something about dreams or chasing your dreams and I was like that's cheesy I'm like there already is dream works like I don't need exactly um, then when I saw the 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 lyrics I was like what about space dream that just like it projects the place totally different yeah and then then he asked me out on a date and now we're married and everyone thinks that it's that I named it after him and I was like I have to know that if if this guy doesn't like me just a crush and it's going to be okay but i have to be okay with this being my company name for the rest of my life (laughs) well it sounds like it might have been some sort of serendipity along the way i think so but um yeah but um so he and i we've done a couple of music videos one of the things that we like is not doing i call them tna pieces where it's Mm -hmm. the fluoros and the girls and the boobs and the butts and that's the music video and yeah. you know that's, that's a style if that's your style that's a style but yeah it's a thing so much music has so much more to it and there's so much more story to it he actually played me the full like it's like the series of videos but like as like one long film how yeah, do you yeah. take such seemingly disrelated pieces obviously they're not like completely disrelated because they're an album but like find a story that weaves through all the songs like that and bring them together without like totally losing track. Like it just seems like a lot of moving pieces to keep track of. How, mm. how do you direct something like that? I guess is my question. I take a lot of drugs. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. No, I think uh, uh, now with, with that one, it was like, we were very close to that period. So like there was a lot of synergy and fusion and uh, you know, just like we trust each other a lot. So you know, I wrote that stuff pretty quickly, but I also was doing a lot of commercial filmmaking. Then I had really good teams and like they really, you know, went to bat on that stuff. So it was like uh, just actually a great example of having a producer who was really defiant and daring. Like we, we didn't have the money we really should have had to do all that stuff, but we kept on pushing to points where it was just crazy. The, the kind of numbers of extras and talent and wardrobe and stuff that was all going into it that it was just like going out on a limb ultimately so that that becomes infectious when you're working and after a certain point you're sleeping three hours a day so you're you're basically living in a, a delirious dream for a good month anyways so i just think it's uh, you can't be afraid to like just really like poke holes in like uh, reality when you do that kind of stuff because you know it's like real that, that stuff for me it comes from a much more dream dream kind of space component you know so it's like it was, yeah we wrote some ideas and then you hope that you can actualize them ultimately because they, they were kind of far-fetched and the storyline stuff was, was pretty easy on that only in the sense that it was like kind of like just pick a genre and you know come up with a story that seems like it was a different iteration of who he was as a hero or an anti-hero and, and all those, those different pieces. That's awesome. And don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> I, was, I was teasing. When I, when I said that I was, I was talking about the Pepsid AC and Pepto-Bismol. Of course, of course. Um, no, that's really cool. And that um, we're, we're looking at doing a project for um, someone. And I mentioned that the idea of tying all their, all their songs together because they wanted to do one for their whole album a different video for each thing wow and i was like at first i was like 
what? And then I was like, wait a minute. Um, I really, I really appreciate your time. Like so much. No, no, totally. I, I had a blast talking. <laughs> awesome. Um, do you have any like closing statements or final words or anything you want to like? Words um, of I don't know. We, we, we all just got to trust in the process, you know, as people and like, uh, creators as people who work in like all assets of, of life like you know at this moment it's so important to rebuild the world with like the world we want in mind and like that starts out with your community and your friends and so i think in creating films you do your little part but it's about everyone just kind of lifting each other up i think that's the most important thing at this moment in the world you know and I, the movie i made i like to think addresses you know certain topics like that even though it's you know not the most uplifting thing along the way but don't be afraid to you know look in those dark corners and actually say like we need to fix this and that's uh yeah that's my political mo for the day <laughs> be, a, be an ambassador of humanity <laughs> i like the ambassador of humanity i'm still going to go with vagabonds of the western world but that's uh, that's maybe the, the the trip i'm on for this week that works that works um yeah i didn't even get a chance to ask about like the the covid side of stuff and how to how it was, it was it was all after honestly like we, oh. we, sh we shot this movie before it was basically just the sound mix that got affected and then the release oh you know? wow like we, um, we we weren't able to release it for probably a year plus you know yeah that's which, and then i know like is, the festival circuit's been like all a jumble and it's just, oh yeah no it was like we, we wanted to bring it to one of the summer festivals 2020 but you know they all got canceled or pushed or scaled back and uh, so it was a long period of re-understanding in terms of how, what, what's going to happen with this film. So, and, you know, I think it worked out in terms of the time window, but, you know, everything's very funky still right now with all that. You know, it's not the best time to be releasing movies. Oops. <laughs> Maybe it is. We don't know yet. So uh, do me a favor, though. Uh, please send all my best to Spencer, and hopefully we, we all get to catch up in person at some point if you ever make it back up to the city and definitely talk on, on the phone when all this is finished up. Yeah, for sure. Um, thank you so much for your time. I really, really, really. No, you know, have, have a great uh, day. Hopefully you get some rest and, and take care of your man. You'll be good. I will for sure. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Ciao. Bye. You've been listening to Filmmaking Actually with Coralinda, Space Dream Productions podcast. Subscribe to us on any or all the podcast platforms, but we especially recommend our sponsor, Anchor. If you like what you hear, leave us five-star ratings and positive reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. It helps more listeners like you discover the show. But the best thing you can do if you really like the show is tell a friend. Want to leave a comment or ask a question? Email at filmmakingactually at gmail.com. This is Spacey speaking, and you know why DPs don't smoke? Because it takes them four hours to light it. And we'll see you next time.